0: hello hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mike the Gardener gardening podcast sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your house plants. Crammed with certified organic growing power if you're looking for amazing results with all of your fruit and vegetables, your flower beds, your lawns and houseplants, then Natural Growers Award-Winning Certified Organic Peat-Free Compost and Fertiliser knock the socks off chemical products. All products are certified organic, 100% chemical-free and 100% peat-free. And those lovely people at Natural Grower have given me an exclusive 10% discount off all products for my listeners. Just pop Mike 10, M-I-C, the number 10 in the apply coupon field when you check out. Well, I'm laughing because I, the last episode, the first episode of Series 5 with the lovely Jekka McVicar, wasn't supposed to be due out for a few more weeks yet. I haven't ever claimed to be a technological whiz kid, and that certainly proves it. I don't know how it happened. It slipped out through the back door. And the first I heard was when my lovely listener, Jenny, actually contacted me to say, great podcast what podcast there isn't one out there but of course there was so we are where we are the first podcast of series five has gone out and thank you so much to everybody who's listened to it and welcome along to some new listeners it's lovely to have you all on board here it really is so down to business in this episode i chat with award-winning garden writer tv presenter and garden wildlife aficionado kate bradbury This episode was recorded in September last year and we talk about her brand new book, The Tree in My Garden. Choose one tree, plant it and change the world.
1: There's 22 million gardens in the UK. There's also loads of parks, loads of green spaces. So yeah, if every one of us went out tomorrow and planted a tree, we'd have a forest. We'd reforest the country.
0: A new book. Yes. The tree in my garden. Choose one tree, plant it and change the world. Now, that's a a big claim to make, but it's really important stuff, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is a big claim. And um, I think, you know, we're not going to solve climate change by planting one tree, Um, but we can certainly... know change change our mindset and we can we can fall in love with that tree we can connect with the tree we can change our world the world outside our back door and obviously every single tree every single leaf absorbs carbon dioxide so you know the actual you know the changing of the world you know is it that significant i think if everybody did it then that would be amazing and, and and we really really could change the world um but i think you know on a small scale Changing the environment outside your back door is, uh, is, is, is the way to go. And, and, you know, everybody clubbing together and, and, and doing, doing small things for, for nature uh, is, is, where we want to, is what we want to be doing, really, as well as the big things as well.
0: And there's quite a few of us gardeners in the UK. So when we talk about if each of us was to plant one tree, we're talking quite a few million, about 22 million yeah, gardeners.
1: There's 22 million gardens in the UK. There's also loads of parks, loads of green spaces. Um, so yeah, if every one of us went out tomorrow and planted a tree, we'd have a, we'd have a forest. We, we'd we'd reforest, you know, the the, the country. Um, so I, I think you know the untapped potential of, of gardens is is really quite astonishing, and and we should um, we should be definitely doing more um, in them.
0: I've been very lucky. I've been sent a copy of the book, and. You often or I often have a flip through books when I'm researching for podcasts. podcast, but it's a real page turner. Uh, some of the facts in here are just startling. Mechanical po- pollination, we no longer have enough insects all the time to do the work that we need them to do. Cloud seeding technologies to make it rain. I mean, it's it's frightening stuff. It's gripping stuff. I was literally turning the pages and stunned by some of the information and the facts about what we're doing to our planet it's frightening
1: yeah it is scary I mean cloud seeding is quite a controversial um technology um that is being looked into at the moment which you know would help it rain in areas where you know we're looking at having increasing droughts um and, and hand pollination I mean and that's been going on in China for for years now um you know pest and that was change of land use and, and pesticides that 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 put paid to those pollinators unfortunately. So yeah every year in a certain certain provinces in China, you know, they they have they have people going out with little paintbrushes and, and pollinating the apple trees because they don't have any pollinators left. Wow. Um, so it's really sad. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, but you know, the the, the thing that, that keeps me going in all of this as is, is, is wildlife gardener is I, I really believe that um by wildlife gardening by planting trees by digging ponds by by growing you know pollinator friendly plants um it, you know it, it we have this enormous power as individuals there's so much going on in the world that we can't change mm-hmm. So much that makes us think, oh, my goodness, where do I even start? Start with the tree in your garden. Start with the pond. Start with the wildflowers. Do those small things. And that gives you power. It gives you agency. Um, and you can see really quickly the effects of what you do. You plant a tree and you watch birds come and land in it. Mm. You flowers and you watch bees visit. You can see the difference you make. And that, that's enormously powerful. And it, and it makes us feel good as well, knowing that we're making a difference, however small it might be
0: you're you're renowned for being so passionate about wildlife gardening and I wondered where did that passion start was there a defining moment that you can look back on in your life and you thought yes that was really important to me
1: um I think there's two things really I think as a child you know I grew up in in, in you know the suburbs of round Birmingham mm. and um you know we ha- we actually had quite a big garden, sort of half an acre's garden, so you know my mom just used to kick us out, and we just used to hang out in the garden and you know play with the worms and watch the birds and you know it was it wasn't a wild childhood, but it was it was more wild than most of my friends mm. um but the the defining moment really was um oh it was getting it's getting over twenty years ago now um And um, my uh, partner at the time was living, you know when you're in your 20s and you're all a bit useless.
0: I can just about Um, remember that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And her her housemate threw an old duvet out into the backyard. Um, I think the duvet smelled a bit damp because it was sort of against the wall. And, you know, I don't know, rather than washing the duvet or even throwing the duvet away, um, he chucked it into the backyard and a a red-tailed bumblebee made a nest in it. Um, and this was sort of very shortly after the launch of the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, um, which I'd sort of read about in the newspapers. Mm. I- just started my garden writing career at that time and um and so I got in touch with the conservation trust and, and and asked what to do about these bees because the landlords got in touch and said if you don't move these bees we will and we all said what bees um and yeah. <laughs> and so yeah we had this mission of um you know dressing up in um an old neck curtains as, as, as a sort of makeshift beekeeping outfit and um and yeah cutting the bees out of the duvet putting them in a little box of, of grass and moss and, and taking them to my allotment and from that moment on I didn't do anything on the allotment that year I just I just used to go and sit and look at the bees I fell in love with them
0: wow wow so there was already something there because you had the allotment to take the bees too. So that's that seed yeah. had been sown, excuse the pun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've always been a gardener. I've always been a gardener. My mom says, I always knew you'd work with the soil. Um, yeah, I was that kid, just sort of grubbing around in the mud, um, you know. Uh, but yes, I think cementing it you know I've always, I have you know I had the allotment I was garden writing by that point as well you know as, as someone who was like 24 not many 24 year olds get into garden writing um so yeah it was already there but then yeah that, that that sort of bee rescue operation just um cemented everything really and I I, I like to say they found me rather than I found them
0: oh, oh yeah well that's it's almost like serendipitous that some of these things happen and it just sets you on the right path in life which it clearly has done with you. So you've talked about the garden writing there your new book is your fifth book? Yes. So how did the writing thing start because you were writing from as you say from a very young age how did that happen?
1: Um, so my two great loves have been gardening and writing my whole life really. Um, I yeah, I was always in the garden sort of mucking around with mud but at school whenever we had like wet play days or anything like that I was always the one who would just sit in the corner and write a story um and so yes I've I've always been a gardener and I've always been a writer those are the two things that are just in me um and I'm very lucky to to have those things that were just sort of so powerful that I didn't really know what else to do with my life (laughs) um so yeah I started writing um
0: how, how did your first book, because your first book, The Wildlife Gardener, was 2017. How did that actually come about?
1: Well, the, the garden writing itself, I when I was 23, 24, I just started writing off articles to to gardening magazines and mm. uh, I got published. And then I got a job um, with Gardener's World. Um, and then because I went on about bees all the time, they made me their wildlife editor. And, and then... Um, I got approached I think to write a book someone was looking for a wildlife gardening book so I was writing that on the weekends because I was still working full-time for Gardener's World right. and then I went freelance sort of towards the end of writing that um and and that was that was 10 years ago so yeah um so I wrote my book I wrote I wrote my first book in 2012 so yeah 10 years ago
0: so then more, more books came.
1: The Wildlife garden was 2013. And then it was Wildlife Gardening for Everyone and Everything, which was 2018, I think. Might have been 2017. So
0: the whole writing process, once you'd started, that first book was out there. And then your love of writing, your love of wildlife gardening just gave you this pathway for more yes. books.
1: Yes. And and I think the thing is, is um, what I didn't realise is that, you know, I'd write a book... Um, I wrote my first book and then I got asked to write others and, you know, people kept asking me to write more books. was brilliant. Um, And then I wrote my memoir, um, The Bumblebee Flies Anyway, which is about my garden. Mm. Um, So I wrote that in 2017. Um, And yes, I'm just writing my second one now. So I'm writing about my, my new garden now as a sort of sequel to that. So I'm writing my sixth book now.
0: And do you find the writing process, obviously you enjoy, but do you have to be in the right space or can you just sit down at any time and just write?
1: It depends what I'm writing about. If I'm right. writing something that's quite emotional or, you know, quite personal, then I have mm. to be in the right mood. Um, if I'm writing a practical book, then I can just sit down and, and do it. But, you know, sometimes you can write 2,000 words in a day. Sometimes you only write 300 and you have to take that and just accept it. Um sometimes when i know i'm having a bad writing day i will just go to the allotment because it's just, the words just aren't coming Yeah. i know that i can make up for it the next day but uh, yes i I'm, i probably should be more disciplined but I'm
0: not. <laughs> so the tree in my garden as we talked about earlier there's a lot of information in there how long did it take you to research or were these facts that you sort of knew of anyway and just put them into the into the book
1: um i think with the tree in my garden i wanted to convey how important tree planting is i wanted i wanted to, to 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 you know really sort of get across the message about climate change about biodiversity loss it was a fantastic opportunity um, and the more research i did <laughs> <laughs> i just ended up going down this black hole of climate change it was it was quite miserable really um yeah i did a lot of research and um you know tried to focus on the positives which is you know we can all do our bits um but yes it was it was quite challenging at times um and I I yeah I learned a lot more about climate change um in that year of writing the tree in my garden than than I knew before which is a blessing and a curse really
0: (laughs) yeah because the more well that's what I was finding as I was turning each page the more I read the more horrified I became about where we're putting ourselves and what we're doing to this planet. So then you then start to think, my goodness me, what are we going to do? So this one tree at a time for each of us to do something,
1: it's a step
0: in the right direction.
1: It's absolutely a step in the right direction. And I think with the tree in my garden, there is there's, there is actually only two pages of what we're doing to the world. And then there's lots of nice positive things, you know, to come after it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that there is a positive message there. Um, but yeah, it was important for me to, you know, get some facts down about, you know, what we've done, what we're doing, and, and potentially where we're headed if we, if we don't pull our head out of the clouds, really.
0: As you've just said, there's a lot more information in the book. So tell us, without giving too much away, give us a tease for those people who haven't got the book yet and you really must what else is in the book that we can look into
1: um there's loads of information about how trees grow which I really loved writing so you know the way trees grow is completely different to the to the way mammals grow or you know animals grow mm. um, and you know they grow they they grow from the tips um all plants do and um and so there's there's lovely diagrams about about how the trees grow um i loved sort of researching the different types of trees um obviously you know as a wildlife gardener i'm you know very in tune with all the native trees that we've got in the uk um and um but yeah i, I did I, I did learn about some some other trees in, in the process um i would have loved to have put this 50 trees there's a gallery of, of trees and mm. sort of the second half of the book um and so beautifully illustrated by lucille clerk absolutely enormous talent it's a proper coffee table book yeah um and i would have loved to have put 100 trees in there's so many more trees that i could have put in
0: so how did you how did you select the the 50 that went in
1: um well we had to go into certain categories so we needed a certain amount of burying trees we needed yeah. a of fruiting trees large trees small trees autumn color trees evergreen trees um I wanted to put palm trees in as well. I know they're not actually trees, they're, mm. they're grasses, but um I wanted I wanted the book to appeal to as many people as possible. And you know, loads of people are really, really into their sort of exotic gardens and their jungle gardens, and I didn't want to exclude them. So we've got some palm trees in there as well. Um so yeah, we, we had to have a certain number of trees per category. And um yeah, and I wanted I wanted to get lots of wildlife trees in as well. There's lots of wildlife trees. There's lots of trees that aren't so good for wildlife that are perhaps good for other reasons. So ginkgo biloba, for example, is, is a really good pollution-busting tree. Yeah. Um, you know, which is really good for growing in cities, but not great for wildlife. Um, but you know, it does have a very interesting interesting story. Um, so yeah, learning all about different trees, writing about different trees, um yeah it was was really good but yeah as i say i would have loved to have written more just there's, there's, and there's some now that i'm kicking myself Why well, didn't I put that tree is um, book, book two yeah maybe yeah more trees in my garden yeah
0: so lucille's um illustrations as you say they're incredible how did you find lucille or did the publishers look after that for you because the pictures are beautiful
1: yeah, um, I wish it was me that found her, but no, it was the publishers. Um, and they just, yeah, they did. When I sort of submitted the work, they just said, "Right, we've got these words. We're gonna, we're gonna go, go to town with them and 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 get this amazing, amazing illustrator." And um, it's a sort of book that you just want to pick up and leaf through. Um, and I'm so pleased as well because Lucy'll put my dog in the
0: book. <laughs> I
1: can't remember what page she's on, but um, yes, there's a little sneaky picture of my dog in the book as well.
0: So, did you? Was it just Lucille who was put into the frame for this, or were there a number of illustrators who were sort of considered? And did you have a sort of like any input into? Oh, I love that one.
1: I'm sure there were some in the frame, but I had no. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have any any input there. Um, we did towards the end um, of the book when we were sort of getting images together. Um, mm. Certainly with the trees as well, because cause she was she very cleverly, um, drew the trees based on photographs of the trees but sometimes they didn't look quite right Mm. and um and so yes there's quite a lot of process of I see what you've done there but it just doesn't look like a hawthorn um so yeah having to sort of go back and and you know do 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 a few tweaks so yeah I was involved with the sort of you know process of actually what everything looked like towards the end but um no not choosing her and and, yeah but she's absolutely amazing and, and I'm very pleased DK found her.
0: Yeah. And so the book is published by DK Books. It was out on the 8th of September. I just wondered, when you get copies of your book, where do you put them in your own home? <laughs> uh,
1: a little, here we go. <laughs> um, I've Where do I put them? Do you know what? I I, I've got a few copies hit, dotted around. I haven't got a special place for them. I should really. I should have my own bookshelf now. I mean, I'm I'm getting to the point where I should have my own bookshelf.
0: Well, that's what um, I wondered. I wondered if you have a Kate's bookshelf um, and <laughs> is it sort of like in full view for sort of like friends and family who come along, or are you sort of tucked away because they know and it's. I just yeah. wonder sort of like how that works.
1: Um, I'm quite shy and modest really so um yeah I mean I'm just you know I've got the tree in my garden here in my office I think I've got a couple of copies of Wildlife Garden downstairs on another bookshelf I don't think I've got a copy of Ponds at the moment um I think my mum nicked it (laughs) um so uh, yeah I should I should probably probably do a bit more there but um yeah they're, they're just sort of dotted around really
0: so talking about friends and family you just t- talked about your mum then how proud of you is your mum and your family and your partner
1: um yeah I think I think I think they're quite proud my mum my mum loves talking about me in, in her local village yeah everything's and my dad my dad's also a king gardener and, and um Yes, he's getting me to talk at his local allotment group um, <laughs> in a few weeks. Um, so yes, they, they, yes, I think they are very proud and very excited. And um, you know, my partner just laughs really; she just thinks it's hilarious. So, <laughs> so, when it comes
0: to your garden, who's head gardener? I mean, is your partner a gardener?
1: Not remotely. No, she likes to sit in the garden and chat to me while I'm pottering about. But yes, that's as far as it goes.
0: Because yeah, there's always that thing, isn't there? So like, how are your other half? My other half, he's quite happy to sit and, and he is a gardener, but he's yeah. a, by his own ad- admission, he's a garden cleaner. He likes it to be clean and tidy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, claims that he doesn't know anything about plants, but he does really. So talking about your garden and, and trees in your garden, I know you have a silver birch. Yes. A rowan and a midland hawthorn. Yes. Now, for some people, maybe non-gardeners, there's this fear of, will it be too big for my garden? What words of advice, and I know this is covered in the book, but what words of advice would you give, just again, to give a flavour of what's in the book? And for anybody who's scared or concerned?
1: Um, I think it's really, really important that you sit down and you have a good old look at its eventual height. So um, the RHS website's um has got really helpful you know its height after 20 to 50 years and mm. um, that's not its eventual height though its eventual height will be more than that yeah. but most of us you know well, I certainly won't be around in 50 years <laughs> um, so um yeah just have a good old look um the other thing to do um the, the pace of growth as well so my silver birch did shoot up I mean silver birches grow very very quickly um so that can be can, can be quite dramatic in sort of ooh. When you when mm-hmm. you plant a tree and it goes up straight away, but my other two trees they were a bit older, um, and if you plant older trees, they grow more slowly. Um, so yeah, um, have a look at ha- have a look at the height, have a look at the pace of growth, um, have a look at the spread, but also have a look at you know do really think about your aspect of your garden, especially you know if you if you live in a nice sort of you know countryside area, you know you've got lots of space, loads of land, mm-hmm. the shade that your tree casts means less. But where I live, you know, I've got a i have got a live in a Victorian terrace, we're all sort of on top of each other. Um so I had to be very careful that the trees I planted in my garden didn't create shade in other neighbouring gardens because then potentially you could have a, a neighbourly dispute. So yeah. um yeah just be mindful of you know where the sun hits, what time it hits, when it casts shade, where it casts shade, where it's going to cast shade in 50 years time. Um, and if you do all of those things correctly, then you'll be really, really happy. If you don't take into account all of those things, then potentially you're going to plant your tree and then worry about it until eventually either you or someone else chops it down. So, mm. yeah, it's really important to to put some proper research into that. And that's all covered in the book. Uh,
0: and in short, there's if we do that research, there's no reason why most, if not all of us gardeners, can have a tree in our garden of some sort.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we, we shouldn't be scared of, of tall trees. I mean, you know, one of the houses I grew up in had a, a giant oak tree, probably a 300 year oak tree right outside the back door. Um, you know, that's not recommended to do now because of... Um, uh subsidence um with you know with houses and stuff although we do have much better foundations um these days than, than we did in Victorian times. Mm-hmm. Um you know but the house didn't fall down the tree was amazing um and you know I'm not saying we should we should plant really huge oak trees in, in very small 40 foot no. gardens but um you know something like so my Rowan for example its maximum height really you know and certainly in my lifetime, it's not going to be much more than 15 metres. Um, my hawthorn is about 12 metres. I planted them so that their crowns will just touch and they, they're not remotely close to touching yet. Um, so, you know, you can do it. And you, if you plant something at the end of the garden, it's not going to create shade unless, um, you know, you've got a south-facing garden, um, you know, um, it's, it's, it's going to be really useful. It's potentially going to block... You know, an ugly building or something like that, Mm. Um, and yeah, just just do it. And, And there's nothing that makes me happier than watching birds land in the trees that I planted. It is so lovely. Four years later, it still is just the best thing ever.
0: It's magical. At the end of the day, when the birds all come flocking in to roost overnight, it's just I love that. It's incredible. Desert island tree, but desert island doesn't mean sandy soil. Your tree, the one tree, if you could have one tree somewhere, what would it be?
1: Do you know, it always used to be the hawthorn, but I think it's going to be a crabapple now because I actually regret not planting a crab apple in my garden because I love them so much yeah blossom in spring and the autumn color it's just it's just magnificent there's there's one on the allotment that I walk past every time I visit and it's it's just absolutely magnificent and and then of course you get so much wildlife using it you get obviously pollinators on the flowers you get moths on the leaves which is very important larval food plants are really important and then all of that fruit in autumn as well um for for birds and, and and insects um so yeah it's a it's a marvel
0: and any particular variety or any
1: um is it red sentinel red sentinel yeah it's gorgeous yeah. yeah yeah really beautiful ones really i really like the yellow ones as well though um, <laughs> so
0: a little yeah. forest of
1: a little forest of crab apples yeah <laughs>
0: perfect Kate, changing the subject just slightly um one of 10 recently appointed ambassadors for the rhs
1: yeah. Alongside
0: Nikki Chapman, Simon Lysett, Tation Hayden Smith, Joe Wiley, Eric Anderson, Minaj Molde. What are you? What is your part within that? And congratulations on the appointment.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. What's my role? Um, so I'm uh, uh yeah, I, I've had meetings with the RHS. I'm trying to I'm trying to get them to do a big science project at the moment. Um I'm I i do not know how much I can say about that. Um, but yes, I'm very keen um on us doing more, more about wildlife gardening, more about getting people involved more about learning more about the things that we can do more about using our 22 million gardens for, for good mm. to do really good things for, for nature and, and, and ultimately for us. So watch this space.
0: And what they're also covering alongside that, um, young people and community gardens, inclusivity, floral art and creativity, landscaping, garden design, inclusivity for the disabled community. Just a fantastic initiative. Did you know anything about it when they when they approached you? Was it a complete <laughs> surprise? And
1: It was a complete surprise. Um, yeah, they called me on the Friday before Monday, so it was all very sort of under wraps until the last yeah. minute. And um, and lovely Hayley Monkton called me on Friday afternoon um, before Chelsea and said, you know, do you want to be an ambassador? We'd love you to have to have you. Can you be here at ten am on Monday? Um, and yeah, it was all it was all quite whirlwinds. Um, but yes, very very pleased to be have been asked and and very honoured.
0: So what's next for you? you you've hinted about books and and writing another book but do you have like a personal professional bucket list of things that you'd like to do you've done so much already
1: um I well my 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 big bucket list thing is to write a novel really um I yes that's that's the one thing I really like to do that I haven't done I keep starting them and then not not getting anywhere with them. So, yes, so, that would be so, great. So picking
0: up on the novel then, are there any ideas, sort of like, is there sort of like a theme or something you could share with us? Nobody listens to this, Kate, so it's only you and I.
1: <laughs> I'm not willing to share those those thoughts, um, I'm afraid. Um, oh. Yeah, but, probably, but, but largely sort of on the same theme of, you know, everything else I write, which is, you know, let's save the world one plant at a time. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else am I doing? Um so Yeah, I'm writing a book about my garden. Mm-hmm. Um And it, I mean, this time of year, it's a funny time to ask because everything, I don't know if it's the same with you, Michael, everything just wraps up, up in October and us garden writers start to put our feet up.
0: Well, it's really strange. I had this conversation the other day. I love the busyness of the season, the planting, the watering, the deadheading, the, the whole maintenance thing and appreciation of it. And then... At this time of year, when the evenings are drawing in, I think initially you miss it so much. I miss being outside. I look outside at six o'clock now and it's dark. (laughs) But yeah, there is this lovely sort of like after a little period of time of acclimatisation to think I can just relax now and enjoy other projects, whatever those projects may
1: be. Yeah absolutely absolutely I mean there is work to do certainly in the allotment yeah um, but uh yeah no it is it is nice but from work as well work in summer is so busy yeah and then and then it all just sort of drops off and suddenly I think oh I don't know if I've got enough work to fill this five days of this week should I you know should I just relax um so yes it's yeah again it's another funny transition sort of having been so busy to to less busy so yeah
0: so hobbies pastimes when you're not working in we've got a little bit more time are are there things that you do that you think oh I can finally do whatever
1: it's just gardening Michael it's there's nothing else there's nothing else you know go walking the dog doing the garden reading you know I I have I have very few hobbies because I've tried to do other things and it just gets in the way of of what I really really love doing so Mm. I just stick with what I really really love
0: that's a good philosophy (laughs) Kate good luck with the new book it's obviously Um, going to be a success thank you so much for spending time with me this morning thank you and good luck with whatever you do and good luck with the RHS ambassadorship.
1: Thanks Michael.
0: Kate's book is a real must-have for any passionate gardener. Its pages are packed with so much information And even as a passionate and experienced gardener myself, as I said in my chat with Kate, it's a real page-turner. My thanks to Kate for taking time to come and have a chat with us today. Well, it's lovely to be back, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, perhaps because you're a new listener, don't forget to follow and subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. And if you're a returning listener, it's lovely to have you here as always. So for the time being, happy gardening when you can get out there and I'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.